What's your blood alcohol content? How did you get camo Jordans? They make them. Is it not a word? Dude, it is to a word. You harking back. You harking back. No, you do not. I was useless. Wait, hold on. Delonica? I'm hurting, man. Are you puking? Did you just bust out a Sargento? We're a uh, Tillamook family. What's the proper technique to milk the teat? If they are competing for state championships, they ain't paying for their blizzards. Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith Podcast. Marty's here. Wes is here. Travis is here. Kind of drinking out of a fire hose just a little bit this week. On Sunday, I went to Birmingham, Alabama. Saw my buddy Jimmy Johnson racing the IndyCar race there at Barber Motorsports Park. Monday, got on an airplane, flew to Los Angeles, flew home on Tuesday. Uh, that's what brings me here. What's going uh, on in got L.A.? A, you, go, you got like a red carpet premiere? No, nah, it, was, it was not a red carpet premiere. I interviewed Bob Baffert, the phenomenal horse trainer who has six Kentucky Derby championships on his resume, and his horses have finished first in the Kentucky Derby seven times. Uh, his horse, Medina Spirit, one year ago uh, was stripped of his Kentucky Derby championship, and that's why I went out to Los Angeles to interview Bob Baffert at his home. You will when see that air, this Marty? weekend on Sports Center on Friday and Saturday ahead Ooh. of the Run for the Roses at Churchill Downs. When I'm done with you guys, I will head downtown Charlotte to vote for the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Then I will head to the Charlotte Airport to fly to Miami, Florida to cover the Formula One race in Miami this weekend. So that gives you guys just a little bit of a snippet of what my schedule looks like. You and him might have the two most like iconic hairdos like in your, you know, that's two amazing hairdos sitting down talking to each other There's a lot of Just, good hair um, yeah a lot of good hair I, I i will agree with that that sentiment travis i appreciate you saying that dude i had a dream got the ashley schaefer bmw look y'all I familiar a, with with that i can't say i yes. am explain <laughs> uh well there's a television program called eastbound and down on hbo back in the day sure. and Kenny yeah, will ferrell's character has the bob baffert or Bob Baffert has the Ashley Schaefer. I don't know what, what happened first. It's kind of a chicken and the egg deal. Very, very iconic hair. Uh, and, you know, a major part of the reason that this is such a massive story uh, and, and has been and continues to be is because of his success, is because, uh, oh, he looks like Ric Flair. Right yeah, it's 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 a Ric Flair. That was Flair. Yeah, uh, definitely a lot of Ric Flair in that. But I can't wait for you guys to see it. I don't want to. I don't want to say too much because. All right, let's go to this dream then. I want to hear about this dream. So I had a dream the other day that uh, my hair was thinning. Oh no! And so I, it was a very like I, I remember the dream very vividly that I was sitting down to do an interview. And I, there's monitors that when we do these sit down interviews, there are monitors where the camera folks can see what the shot looks like. The production staff can see what the shot looks like. And thereby we, the reporter or, or host or, or interviewer can see what the shot looks like. And I had sat down for an interview and I happened to glance at the monitor and I could see this light just blazing through my hair onto my scalp. And I was like, what the hell? And so I'm like, like, you know, looking like I was like a keeps commercial or something, you know, like I'm sitting there like looking at my hair. Just massaging your scalp. Yeah. Like, is this like, what is going on with me right now? Am I losing my hair? Do you think that it's more of in a past interview? You, it looked like that because all the white that's coming in. No, it has nothing to do with the white. Although get this dude, I got my hair cut last week. And my, my, the lady that does my hair, is, her name is Terry, and she's awesome. And my hair is really weird. It grows straight as an arrow. And so it's hard to cut. And it's super-duper thick, which is a blessing. By the way, thank God that was a dream. Uh, I woke up. I had forgotten about it. You know, I, I went back to sleep, forgot all about the dream. But then I was, like, brushing my teeth the next morning, and I was like, oh, I don't, I don't have to worry about that. So what would you do? Because uh, my dad started losing his hair, and he just went – 
Kojak just shaved it Did all he? off. He went. He yeah. as 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 our boy Scott Van Pelt says, he came on home. I think you'd have did. to retire, Marty. You just have to. I think you'd have to give up your career. So what do you think? I don't camera. know. What do you I don't think know the dream what I would meant, do. Marty. Do, do you did you analyze it or anything? I took a class in high school. It was like a directed study where you could study whatever you wanted for the semester. And I studied dreams, <laughs> and like by the end of the thing, like I gave myself my own final project, and I wanted to try to have a lucid dream, and I and I did it. It was like Inception. I was like Leonardo DiCaprio. But I can also, uh, I just flew, I don't know, I, I flew. What, what, what else would anyone want to do in a dream? Just fly around. Okay, what, well, how do you analyze that? Well, tell me more about the dream. I'll see if I can decipher it. I mean, that's all I can really remember is that I looked at my hair, and I still had, like, all of the goop that I put in my hair to style it. Okay. Because if I don't, what y'all don't understand, I take a lot of grief for my hair product, and that's fine. Uh, you know, to each his own. Some of you guys have that perfect, like, uni- it's SEC hair. I've always called it, like, University of South Carolina hair, but I realized that, like, hmm. it's SEC hair. What does it that is, mean? Like, Bama bangs? It means it's like Lego snap-on hair. It's the perfect, like, swoop-over fraternity boy hair. The, ba- well, the Bama bangs. it takes years and years and years to – to get that going. I mean, it doesn't just happen overnight. So I can't do that. It doesn't yeah. exist because my hair is so thick and grows so straight. I can't, my hair will not do that. Look what my hair looks like without product. I've seen it, man. Yeah. This is, I look like Beaker from the Muppets. It <laughs> is a is very mine. unfortunate look. And so, your lower lip just unfolds. Yes. Me, 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 me. And so, so I just put the product in it. I don't, the great and McGee says this all the time about, uh, I mean, there's a lot of good hair on the Marty McGee program too, and so like I don't know, McGee's years older than I am, and he doesn't have any gray yet. Like yeah, I don't good get genetics. It. Yeah, his is jet it. black. It's jet black. I don't get it. He has no gray. All right, and so Laney's the same way. Anyway, um, Laney's not older than me though. Let me make sure I clarify that. <laughs> I was gonna say um, you're. Woo. So I had the goop in my hair, and so my hair was like done. But you could see directly through all the hair Interesting. To, to the scalp. I mean, it was, it was like mm. being in a – you know how you see a cornfield when the stalks have started to go away? Yeah. It's, it was kind of like okay. that. So, there were like cornrows of nothingness. <laughs> I feel like Dr. Melfi and your Tony Soprano. Uh, so I think what's going on in the dream, Marty, I think – you are trying the same things, but maybe you're concerned that people are going to see something about you that makes you a little bit more vulnerable because they're seeing through uh, your hair a little bit. I don't and know what getting, that would be. They're getting through to to your uh, to your psyche, so maybe it's Could something be. something in your subconscious. There, I'm not a uh, licensed psychiatrist, by the way. But if you want me to interpret your dreams, you can uh, find now, me one nine hundred mix a lot cameo. So, so back to Terry, who cuts my hair. She was cutting my hair the other day, and she tells me like she started giggling, and I'm like, "What are you laughing at?" I I have like a skunk stripe of gray hair that is forming directly down the center of my head. <laughs> oh, you got the Derek Carr going. So before too long, the faux hawk is going to be like the silver, the silver lance hmm. or, you know, it, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to just be gray at the tips. People will think I've gone back to peroxide Marty and uh, peroxide gray and um, frosted my tips, but it's actually just gray hair. I am leaving today again to go to Miami for F1, mm. where I'm doing some sit-down interviews with some big-time stars. I am uh, – uh, Man, I can't just, wait for that I'm, race. It's, it's going to be something, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's the hardest ticket. It's, a, it's an impossible ticket. It's the hardest ticket, yet I feel like every time I log into Twitter, I see someone else tweeting about how they're going. Yeah, but I think a lot of people are going, but are they actually going to the race? Who, who are some of those people, Wes? Well, you remember? I mean, I mean, one of them's you, one of them's McGee, so those two don't count. 
I thought you were talking about celebrities. We don't. We, we definitely don't count. No, I no. think that like, like, Spen- like from Spencer, like Spencer Hall, like Spencer Hall is going. Yep, he's going to be I mean, working. Spencer's working. So he's down working. There. All Katie right, so everybody's George, working then. I don't feel bad. Nicole Briscoe, like we, I think that's everybody for ESPN. There's a bunch of us down there. McGee and I are there mainly for Marty and McGee, but I'm also gonna like I'll be taking laps. I get to do the the laps around the racetrack. Um, Whoa! I get. Yeah, that's gonna be wild. Is the is this race the classiest place that the most redneck show has ever gone to? Yes. Is Miami classy? <laughs> well, but F- F1. it's F F one. Okay. So I mean, y'all, yeah. you gotta understand something here. You gotta understand something here. I, I imagine both of y'all have been to Hard Rock Stadium. Have 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 y'all been no, there? No, I've never okay. been to Miami. I'm, I didn't know if uh, if you may have covered a game there once, Wes. But I've done a bunch of games at that stadium including the national championship two years ago and the Orange Bowl this past season. And so, like, there's Hard Rock Stadium and there's nothing. Like, that's it. That's all that's there. Dude, they built a marina. A fake marina, right? At the racetrack. They built a marina so they could have yachts docked at the racetrack. It's insane. It. I can't wait to see this. It's going to be – like, I was talking to Marlon Humphrey, who is all pro DB for the Baltimore Ravens, and he's going to the, go down to the race. And we were at lunch, and I was like, dude, they put a marina in there. And he goes, what? I said, I'm telling you, man, buckle that belt, because F1's unlike anything you've ever seen. And look, this is my first experience. I've never done an F1 race before. This is my first. I want to see the reaction if they see a couple drunk good old boys in jorts, what their thoughts are going to be. Well, that's hmm. – I mean, wait till y'all see what I'm rocking. I got a, I got. Oh, we a got a suit. Of, I got a couple of pure outfits that I'm gonna be rocking. Yeah. Uh, at the Formula One race in Miami, the Oof. Miami Grand Prix. So speaking of racing, uh, you have the voting coming up today for the Hall of Fame for NASCAR, and I don't want to. We're not gonna ask you about votes and stuff because you can't yet. But what is it like just to have the, a vote and go there and be a part of such an honorable thing? It's very humbling. That's how it is. Uh, to be able to sit in a room with a who's who of NASCAR garage royalty from previous champions of the sport, drivers, owners, administrators, executives, broadcasters, you feel very small. And for the most part throughout the years, I've just kept my mouth shut because – I have my opinions about who should be in and who shouldn't, but one of the most awesome parts of that – this, this is a calendar circle day for me every year. I love this event. I love the opportunity to be a voter. I'm grateful for that opportunity. And it's always – I always go in with an idea of who I'm going to vote for. Like, I study – I tell myself this person is the most deserving these people are most deserving and invariably as i'm in there i will hear someone with great historic knowledge explain to me the merits of someone's career that maybe i wasn't as familiar with and that will change my mind i think every single year i've gone in with a ballot in mind and never voted that way um, during my entire time as a voter, which man, it's like going to the cheesecake factory. You get in there, you think you know what you're going to order, and you just flip through that novel. Woo! That menu is so overwhelming. Mine changed. I mean, it's a I'm, it's it's the war and peace of culinary experiences. <laughs> if I never step foot in a cheesecake factory ever again, I will be happy. What's your problem with Cheesecake Factory? What's your beef with the sea cake, bro? The menu is just, it's too much. It's too much, and then there's always a line. Like, you're going to wait 30 minutes, then you, it's just, there's too much. Also, cheesecake is disgusting. It's, I just simplify the menu. I don't need it dumbed down to, like, five items, but let's let's knock off a page. Your culinary takes continue to disappoint, Travis. Have I ever mentioned on the program here that Travis has... A notable case of obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, 
Yeah, I've, you've mentioned never, it. You've mentioned it. I've never experienced anything quite like it. Um, and it it also lends to the reasoning why. First of all, that Travis is the go-to person for my schedule because he knows it backwards and forwards. And uh, also the fact that he can lament all of my inadequacies with my wife because they are a unified front in doing their very best to keep me between the proverbial navigational beacons. See, that's why I don't feel like I'm wrong, because a lot of the things, as you say, Laney does no. the same thing. And I'm like, if you're comparing me to Laney, I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, with the windshield wiper thing, that, that I, I was blown away because I was like, dude, you are just like Laney. Okay, like so what, Wes doesn't know about this, but he, Marty FaceTimed me the other day, and the sole purpose is he turned the windshield wipers on super fast to see if he could bother me. It I was had not raining on. It was like dusting, or what do you call it, misting outside, and the mist had stopped. Dusting. And I just had the wipers full tilt, pinned, and I thought this would piss Travis off. So I FaceTimed him while I was making my way down Interstate 20 towards the Barber Motorsports Park, and I didn't say anything. He thought I butt but timed him. Or I didn't know what was going on. But what bothered me, though, I butt didn't really him. notice the windshield wipers. Butt faced him. That's what I was about to say. I butt faced him. <laughs> he he wasn't. He was like in the middle of the road. So what did you Pick do, Travis? Did it did it bother you? Yes. The windshield wipers. It took me a second to realize, but it was his driving. Yeah, that's a good inside like, joke right there. Actually, butt faced. No. Oh yeah, butt faced is good. We can. Uh, print the t-shirts on that one we should yeah we should uh trademark so travis i i plan to mention these on the show but i didn't know that it was going to be because of you do your kids oh, have these puppets. marty these little popper things yeah my lord yes we have a so popper. travis if you get anxious man you just pop these little guys and i don't no, know so it's not i don't know who invented them but i'm pissed at them because it's such a simple idea probably cost about two cents to make and the entire population of children on the planet is popping these no, things. We have more than we know what to do with. So my niece and like big ones. I mean, they're, they're like 200 buttons on this one that Vivian has. By the way, the cup holder just came out of my camping chair. I sit in to do the pocket. But so Drink my nephew. It's like a bedpan. Niece, I forget who. Someone has them. I think they're dumb and boring. There's nothing like. Dude, you're 32 years old. Of course you do. What? What kind of comment is that? Like, what in the world? Do you think Wes and I sit there and do it all day long? I, I do think Wes does, actually. What, what do I do? I didn't hear you. Do you, pop, do, you play, do you play with those poppers? No, she does have a ball, though, that's got the poppers on it. And that's a lot of fun. Because I can just peg her with it, and it's soft. Doesn't <laughs> She thinks it's funny. So Peyton Manning, do you just Peyton Manning yeah, her with a uh, lot like the that SNL pop skit. socket ball? Yeah. How how old is your uh, child, Wes? Two. So have you seen uh, where parents throw a slice of cheese on their face to see their reaction? Oh have no! Have you tried She's that before? Lactose intolerant, I'm pretty sure. Well, I mean, we could get lactose intolerant cheese and try it. But Apparently, I have, like, I have seen that. That's pretty. Demeaning. If they're like crying, you throw a slice of cheese, like they just stop crying. Uh, I got to show y'all something, by the way. She pointed, I was wearing a Brave shirt the other day, and she pointed at the logo on the shirt, and she very confidently just says, that a duck? And I said, what? There's, no, there's not a duck on my shirt. <laughs> she pointed at the logo and said, that's a duck. And I've looked at it, and I've not been able to unsee it. Uh, I'm gonna, I saw that on your Twitter machine. How, uh, how amazing and is it's that? hilarious, and she ain't wrong. I mean, it has a beak. It has a yeah. it has like a nice round head. Uh, it has like all kinds of ducky aesthetics. Just go look at it if you're listening to the audio only. It's like the hat, the guy's nose, make the beak. It's the major league baseball yeah, logo. The MLB not logo, the not the logo. Right, the MLB the way, logo. Yeah. yeah. Um hey. I, look, I I don't disagree with her, especially after uh you busted out the uh, busted out the light bright and doctored it up yourself and drew the duck in there. That's when I was like, well, damn, they ain't wrong. 
sometimes people just need a little help to see the vision, you know? And you really didn't add much. You added a black dot and yeah, yep, some a wing. Pretty simple. Your daughter's onto something. I guess uh, I guess we should throw it over to Dusty because I have to go prepare myself for a very long week in Miami, Florida. Get to see some Florida men while I'm down there. Be careful. Uh, we had a hilarious conversation with Dusty Slay. If you guys are unfamiliar with Dusty's work, I don't know where you've been, but he is a stand-up comedian. And we had him on, I don't even know when it was. When was it, Travis? We taped this probably a month, a couple months ago. It we was a while been, back. We've been sitting on this one. And uh, Travis posted a clip to Instagram the other day, like yesterday maybe, and yep. about him being, about Dusty being an Alabama fan. Hmm. And from that one clip, I heard from like 10 of my friends. So that tells me that this is very funny. And uh, buckle up. Because you're going, you might need to borrow one of Wes's little girl's diapers because you might just pee pee in your <laughs> pantaloons. Well, here's Dusty Slay on the Marty Smith podcast. All right, let's bring him in. Dusty Slay, you can check him out right now on Netflix season three of Stand Ups. And brother, we appreciate your time. You are hysterical. The funniest thing ever was when you were talking about Lone Star. Oh, my God, I laughed. I laughed so hard. So let's just jump into it. All right. Uh, the first thing I want to know, and I know the easy answer is you got to be funny, but what makes a good comedian? Well, I don't – I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, because there's so many good comedians out there that have so many different styles. But I really think truth and relatability is what makes you the best. Because if what you're saying is not true, then you're making up something. Uh, and uh, I don't know. If it's not believable, it's not funny to me. And if I can't relate to it, then it's not funny to me. You've been on all manner of shows. I mean, if you name the show, all you guys watching and listening, I mean, it's Fallon, it's Kimmel, it's the whole thing. What is your most memorable performance and why? Well, it's hard to say that being on Netflix is not uh, the most memorable, <laughs> yeah. you know, but uh, I, I think my first appearance on The Tonight Show was the most surreal for me because it went – uh, the way that you want it to go. It, I mean, not that, I mean, my Netflix went exactly the way I wanted it to go too. But by the time I had reached Netflix, I've done a, a lot of things. But when I was doing the Tonight Show, I mean, that was the first time I was just blown away. And honestly, I got the same feeling from doing the Grand Old Opry the first time. Uh, it just, it didn't make sense to me that, uh, a little country kid that doesn't even play music was getting to perform on the grand old Opry stage. I was going to ask you about that. Uh, I mean, that is obviously hallowed ground. It's as sacred as it gets in Nashville, Tennessee. Hell, I got to be honest with you before we booked you to come on. I didn't know anybody ever did comedy at the grand old Opry. So how's that go when you're standing in a circle, man? Well, it, I was so intimidated the first time, but I think I've done it about 15 times now. Yep. Uh, and now it just, uh, I really feel at home. The people that work at the, the Opry are so nice and so great. Everybody in the band. And it's all like, it feels like a, a just a good fun hang. But the first time I was just like, man, I got, I got to prove that I belong here. You know, I got to prove that this wasn't a mistake, you know? That, that they're like, we could have put any musician here tonight, but we chose to let you do jokes. So don't make us regret it. Yeah, how does it work? Do they do like a comedy night in the theater or are you part of the musical lineup for the evening? Yeah, I'm just part of the musical lineup. And, uh, but I think the great thing is that, uh, you know, oftentimes the music can get so serious that it's a nice break to have comedy. I think the worst show, the worst performance I've had there was when I followed Neil McCoy. 
And I think it's because Neil McCoy got so wild. He went out into the audience. He he had a, basically his own comedy show anyway. And then I come out to do comedy and I'm like, well, I can't sing. It's not fair when people can sing and be funny. Yeah, when Neil's wearing in britches that tight and he goes, all she's got to do is just to give me that wank. You got no yeah. shot, bro. <laughs> I you mean, got no he's chance. out in the crowd. Yeah. Normally, I come out and I get to, you know, I get to uh, break up the seriousness with a bit of levity. And, uh, dang, Neil McCoy had the audience go, and they were like, bring Neil McCoy back out. I didn't bomb, but it was my worst set there. What yeah, was your worst bomb? Tough act. Share that with us. Well, I think probably I was in Columbus, Georgia at a place called The Loft, and um, I was trying some new jokes. This was, this was probably about 2015. I was trying some new jokes. They were a bit dirtier, but they had been working well. But my dad and his wife and his cousin and his wife and some people from their church all came. And if you're being a little <laughs> dirty and it's working – Everybody can just look past it. They can be, you know what? It was dirty, but you were getting laughs. It's hard to argue. But when you're dirty and you're bombing, it just looks awful. And it just looks so bad. There's a host that she would always go out and go, I'd like to give a toast. Do you want to hear a dirty toast or a clean toast? And every time I had been, the audience asked for a dirty toast. But this night, they went clean. Oh, no. And even she was taking back. She didn't know what to do. She, I don't even think she had a clean toast. That was, yeah, your, your dad's church just uh, led the momentum there for the, the clean toast. Yeah, and then I got, you know, I call them my lotion jokes, but you can imagine what they were about. <laughs> and... Uh, moisturizing uh it was just like that was the worst because it was the worst for me because it, bombing in front of strangers is not that big of a deal but bombing in front of a man that you're going to talk to for years to come is hard <laughs> what's in that fact, like does he still well bring it, it was up? so bad that when i got to do the opry for the first time i invited my dad because that was my redemption i was like all right, listen, I know you saw me bomb years ago, but now come see me perform at the Grand Old Opry. And he brought his best friend, and his best friend, he said it was on his bucket list to go to the Opry. So I'm killing many birds with one stone. And, uh, you know, it's funny, the Opry has metal detectors. I had a pocket knife that I had to go put back in the car. My dad had a pocket knife that he had to go put back in the car. And my dad's friend had two knives. That he had to go put it. He had a boot knife and a pocket knife. Dusty, let me tell you something, brother. I fly a lot for my job, and the Charlotte Douglas International Airport must have a box somewhere full of weaponry for the woods because I've given them about 10 pocket knives myself. You know, that's funny. I got a joke I've been doing about that because I've lost three at the airport. And I say, you know, if I'm a threat with a pocket knife that big, I'm somewhat of a threat without it. You know what I mean? <laughs> what the, so I read that you almost gave it up during COVID. Wow. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I was talking to uh, Dave Paulson at the Tennessean, and, and, and I've become friends with him over the years, and I think I get a little loose talking to him. And I don't know that I so much almost gave it up or – that uh, or that I, I just wasn't sure that we would ever do it again. I wasn't sure that the world was going to go back to even semi-normal. I, I don't know that we're back to normal yet, but at least we're at semi-normal. But when I got shut down for a second time, there was a part of me that wondered if we would ever get back to normal and if this would ever continue the same way. And I did begin to think of what would I do otherwise? What would be my other alternatives? And I did think seriously about like, how can I even tell, I even say this now, it's hard to write jokes when you feel like the world's about to end, you know, and, uh, and I think that's where I was at. I mean, I'm in a much happier place now because I do comedy every weekend and I have a new baby. But at the time, it was just like it just felt dark. And I'm like, how do I tell jokes in this time? Yep. 
Yeah, everybody went through it. I mean, and in their own way. Everybody had to manage that mental health part of the COVID-19 pandemic in their own way. I mean, I make my living on sports, right? So we thought sports were impenetrable. We thought sports were everything proof. And then all of a sudden, you know, you work for, for, for ESPN and your entire life is reporting and broadcasting sports. And then, oh, damn, there's not any sports. And so a lot of people had yeah. to deal with it. Like, I, it is interesting, man, how it changed our perspectives on the blessings of getting to do what we do. So how did your perspective on being a comedian and sharing that humor change? Well, I think for me, when I got to go back out, at least the first time, I got to go back out and it gave me an opportunity to kind of reset because I said, you know, we've all been shut down. How do I get shut down and then just come back out and tell all the same jokes I was telling before this happened? So I thought the audience is just so happy to be out of the house. This is a good chance for me to just tell some new jokes, talk about some new things. And then I got shut down uh, later in 2020, and I just, at that point, I was just so happy to be back out there and be on stage that I was just blown away, and I just was so happy that, I don't know, it's just hard to describe. I was thinking about, I don't even know if I want to do comedy anymore, and then immediately after that show, I felt such a rush that I hadn't felt in a long time that I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like, I'm like, all right, I'm ready to do it again. You were reminded of your purpose. That's what it was, man. You were reminded of your purpose because you're injecting joy and fulfillment into people who desperately needed it. I don't know. I'm not a comedian. I don't know a whole lot of comedians. But I would imagine that the energy rush for you guys is – I have spent, this is my life's work, is trying to inject joy into your night. And when you receive that back, that energy exchange is validation. And so I would imagine that has to be part of this. Yeah, I think so. And when you do comedy night after night, and I'm sure it's the same for musicians. I'm sure it's the same for athletes. It's like night after night after night, the rush can go away sometimes. But when you have to take time off and then get to come back, Uh, It's unbelievable. So not just COVID, but I mean, with social media, the Netflix model that you mentioned, how have you adapted to what this art form is, uh, is becoming? Obviously you still have the live element, but it seems like you have to be funny when you're just in your normal day, you know, walking around doing things on Instagram, which you're good at, but that seems like maybe when you got into it, I would think you couldn't have imagined that would have been part of the gig. Yeah, I mean, it's fun in a lot of ways. I like social media in a lot of ways. I like telling jokes online. I like posting videos of my stand-up. But there seems to be this real push for people to have uh, an insight into your life and for me to film doing my everyday things. But I'm like, I don't want to do that. I just want to do my me doing everyday things is me like, you know, turning it off for a minute and, and being a normal person. But it's like, I want to go work out in the yard and, and plant, uh, plant vegetables and fruit. And, and, and I'm like, I'm always tempted to be like, I should make a video of this. But then I'm like, am I really taking a break? Why? It's like, I don't want to video, video every aspect of my life. You know, I just had a baby and I haven't posted one picture of her in nine months because I'm like, I'm not trying to use my kid to get likes. Yeah. If people do that, I'm not judging them, but I'm not trying to do it. No, you know? I, I totally get that. No, I, you brought up Lone Star, and I was thinking before this combo about this era in country music where guys were just singing about being a dad, and it wasn't really part of what country music was all about before that. And when I look back on the big picture of what was going on in country in the 90s and 2000s, that just seems like such a weird path for country guys to, to start singing about that. Oh, man. Well, that Lone Star song cracks me up because people love that song. And I like Lone Star. I do like them. I, I really like them. But that song, I'm Already There, 
that cracks me Mr. up Mom. because it's like it's like you're not there and you're telling your little kid i'm already there and your little kids are like well, where are you at let's get together you know what i mean you talking about like, that kills me man you were like uh, i'm the shadow on the ground no you're not yeah yeah it's like the shadow on and, the ground like, can't play know, catch with me dad like what, what yeah when you say i'm with you in spirit it's like okay so you're not with me at all then uh, <laughs> What about five you know, o'clock like, somewhere? You think that one's funny too? Oh man, five o'clock somewhere. I got a seven-minute breakdown of five o'clock somewhere, and um, but you know, I always, you know, it's it's funny. It's like it, if you say five, it's like the song that justifies drinking any time of the day. You oh, know, yeah. you say it's five o'clock and it's okay. <laughs> it only works for drinking though. You know, you can't show up late for work and be like, hey, it's nine <laughs> o'clock somewhere. You know. <laughs> be nice if that did work though you know if your boss is like well i can't argue with that logic he'll get in here nine you o'clock know? on the west coast boss uh, yeah exactly and then people always love to throw at me they're like newfoundland has a half hour you know oh because i say this because i say uh you know he says uh it's only half past 12 that's twelve thirty. just to be clear he said it's only half past 12 but i don't care it's five o'clock somewhere, right? But that's not true, you know? It may be five thirty somewhere, but they'll say, Well, if it's twelve twelve thirty in California, then it's you know, it's five o'clock in Newfoundland. But I'm like, I don't think they're in California and I don't you know, so I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> People don't know how to get a joke. People get too analytical about a joke. Now I love truth and comedy, but you can't just make it can't just be anytime you want it to be at any time, you know, people but, get too analytical been, about everything, Dusty, oh, every man. damn thing. Oh, man, it's too much. Who are some guys I'm thinking specifically Southern comedians, you know, Midwestern guys. I know obviously you're a big fan of Jeff Foxworthy, but I think every time I hear someone that is from where, you know, I'm from the Southeast. I'm just a little bit more inclined to hear what they have to say. How have some of those guys from your region kind of shaped your path in this career? Well, I mean, there's a lot of really great Southern comics that people don't even really talk about anymore. You know, um, Jerry Clower is one oh, that I used to listen best. to a lot when I was when I was younger. And it's like I feel like I kind of indirectly took the Jerry Clower path. There's a joke where Jerry Clower says that he recorded an album and a, a record exec from New York heard the album and said, hey, gave him a call and said, if you're next time you're in the vicinity of New York City, why don't you stop by the office? And Jerry Clower's like, well, I ain't never going to be in the vicinity of New York City. <laughs> the vicinity. So if you want me, you got to send for me. Right. And it's like, <laughs> that's not exactly my path, but it's. I never really wanted to move to New York or L.A., and I like living in Nashville, and I'm like, I just want to be a comedian. I'm not trying to be a movie star, so I'm going to stay here, and I'm just going to do comedy. And I think that, you know, there's also another comic named James Gregory that I always really liked, and he he stayed in Atlanta his whole career. And I just think there is something about, um, you know, where you grow up and who you are, you know, that's that's part of who you are. And if you move to a new place, now you're changing, you know, and it's like, I don't I don't want to change. I want to grow. I want to, you know, get better. But I like being me. You know, I like Nashville where I, 15 minutes I can be out in the country. You know, I was looking for land uh, in 2020 and there's hollow. You'd be 20 minutes outside of Nashville. You're deep down in some one lane mountain road where your phone signal doesn't work and you don't know if you'll make it out of there or not, you know? <laughs> so how do you carry Alabama with you? You from Opelika, right? I am from Opelika. Um, you know, I just feel like, uh, I, I like Alabama. Alabama's the butt of every joke and they take all the criticism all the time. And I like Alabama. I think, uh, I think it's great. I had a great time living there. I mean, I see you got an Alabama helmet back there. I cheer for I cheer for Alabama and Auburn, and people don't like oh. that I do it. But I'm like, you know what? They're my they're my. I grew up in Opelika. I went to many Auburn games, but my dad's a diehard Alabama fan, and you know I can cheer for them both. If they're playing each other and one has a chance to go to the national championship, that's who I'm pulling for. You know, 
I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of Alabama, a lot of Auburn fans. I think uh, I don't know that there's so much Auburn fans as they are. I hate Alabama fans. You know what I mean? I mean, I can. I always say where I come from, you're either an Alabama fan or you went to college, right? But <laughs> I didn't go to college, so roll tight. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> And I just, because that's what, my mom always says that. She goes, oh, you know them Alabama fans? They didn't even go to that school. But my mom, being an Auburn fan, also didn't go to Auburn, you know? So (laughs) we're all out here just talking trash. You got to put some more of that in your your routine, man. Anytime, anytime you're talking about SEC football fans, you got to, I mean, there are reams of jokes that you can share. Every school has something you can get. All of them. Every single one. I just, this past Saturday, I did the Fox Theater in uh, Atlanta, Georgia with Jeff Foxworthy, and there were 4,800 people in that theater, and I said, my dad lives in Alabama, and half the audience started booing me just because he lives there. Yeah. And then I did the first part of that joke where I, you know, I said, you're either an Alabama fan or you went to college, and that place went nuts. I mean, it went, oh, it lit up like you've never seen. And then I did the second part of the joke, and that's why the second part is the best, you know? I go, hey, but I didn't go to college, so roll tide. So fun. And I don't know, it just pulls the rug out from under them, and uh, I love it. Dusty, I'm in Athens, and we're still riding high over the natty, of course, but there's still the inferiority complex, so that doesn't surprise me at all that that joke was a a mixed reception from the dogs in the building. I love Foxworthy because he went to Tech for a little bit, and he's a Georgia fan. So y'all have a little bit of that mixed house divided internally thing going on too. Yeah, I think Foxworthy roasted me a little bit after he went out there. I couldn't hear because side stage in a theater you can't really hear, but he – he talked about me being from Alabama, and then I heard him doing the go dogs and barking, and oh, man. Um, but I love Athens, too. I love Athens. I love Charlotte. Those are fun places. I've done comedy several times there. I love it. Tell I us mean, a great Foxworthy story. What's that? Tell us a great Foxworthy story. I know you got Well, I don't know him that well. Um, you know, um, I've opened for him a couple of times, and I've done a podcast with him. Uh, but I can say he's just, uh, to me, he's exactly what you want him to be. Just a normal guy with f- tons of stories. And, um, you know, he says he's a, he told me the first time we talked that he's a big fan of my comedy, which as a kid that grew up in a trailer park and I, I was, I was living in a trailer park in middle school when you might be a redneck came out and no one had ever spoke to me that way before. And so for him to tell me he's a fan of my comedy blows my mind. I mean, I have total confidence in my comedy, but to hear a legend say that he loves my comedy, uh, it kills me. And Foxworthy's couple of his kids were at this, this, uh, last show in Atlanta. And he said they were texting him during my set saying how much they liked me. And I don't know, it just, I can't believe it's happening. Sometimes I can't believe the life that I have. Uh, and I'm so grateful, you know. Dusty, where do you get all your hats from? You are a, an avid hat guy. Well, a guy on Instagram sent me a bunch of hats. And I wish I could remember his name, but it was a long time ago. And I get a bunch of messages. So it just went down, down, down to the bottom. And I don't remember his name. But he sent me this one, a Des Moines one. Now, the first one I ever had, you may know of this place, but the first one I wore was a West Point Pepperell hat. Um, And, you know, West Point Pepperell was in West Point, Georgia, which is right across the border from Auburn. And my. Grandfather worked at a West Point Pepperell plant. My uncle drove a truck for them, and that's where I got the hat. And I started wearing it just as a joke, um, and it was it just felt so fun. I have a hard time being silly, uh, and so when I wore the hat, it just brought out this silliness out of me. And then I can't take it off now. I don't know what happened. It's I'm like Jim Carrey with the mask, you know. <laughs> We're going to have to send you a hat. We got a whole new line of hats, brother. Look, I'll I'll, I'll send you that right there. How about that? Oh, boom. That's a great hat. 
Um, all right, we are going to get you out of here on this, and something you just said made me think of this. I've always wanted to ask a professional comedian this. How do you develop the cadence? All of y'all have a cadence with which you speak when you're performing, and how, how does that happen? Like, is that mirror? Is that, and what's the writing process, too, for your jokes? Well, you know, my dad is a really funny guy and a good joke teller. And I think I just spent so many time, so much time around Southern men just listening to them tell jokes that um, I just picked it up, I think. And also, I think there is a rhythm to it where I've listened to so much country music, uh, so much good storytelling music that you just kind of you get into that rhythm. And I think some of it just has to be natural because I don't know where I get it from. But I, I have a video of the first time I ever did comedy. And my jokes weren't great, but I knew how to tell them. Mm. You know, so the rhythm was even there then. And I think it's, I don't know, I think comedy is almost like poetry in a sense. And it's just like, there's a way to tell it. And I think the writing process for me now is I have an idea, I take it on stage, I tell it until it makes people laugh. I, I keep telling it and I keep trying to find that way. It's like I use my natural instincts of comedy to tell it in a way that I think is going to make them laugh. And once it does make them laugh, I just have a pretty good ability to remember how I told it. And then I just tell it like that, and and it's like once you find it, once you find that first laugh, you just I just keep milking it. I go, all right, I got a laugh here, but can I get another laugh off of it? And then if I get another laugh, I'm like, but can I get another laugh? And then before you know it, this little joke just grows into a bit because just just instincts where you just keep going. All right, that worked. Let and so if you if you ever see me live. Sometimes a joke will go big laugh, smaller laugh, smaller laugh, smaller laugh. All right, you've taken it too far, right? <laughs> but I, that's what I like to do. I like to milk it dry, you know. Well, I, I saw I, you. Talk, I saw you talking about your hair uh, on on one of the clips I was watching, and I was rolling, man. You taking the hat on and off, and going, "Oh, he's Billy Ray Cyrus." Oh, whatever. <laughs> really funny. So I'm gonna put you on the spot here. All right. Okay. I take constant grief about my hair constant like if you go on social media people are all the time talking about my hair like yeah, my what the hell is on that, top of that guy's hair. head yeah. why doesn't he get a hair what's wrong with him so i'm gonna give you the floor and you can offer us a bit about my hair okay oh gosh i mean I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I'm not, I mean, I think um, you got a Johnny Bravo thing going on here. You know, I mean, that may be a bit of an old reference. I don't know. I, I think your hair looks good. I think you're a cool looking guy. You know what I mean? I'm not good at roasting people. I think, uh, <laughs> I'm not I think either. you got your own, I think you got your own vibe going. It looks good. I mean, you know, I've had many hairstyles. I had for a while, I had totally slicked back hair. It was short and slicked back. My friend who, now tells me it was my Rachel Maddow phase, and uh, uh, he didn't tell me that when I had it going. You know what I mean? And uh, I'm all about. I mean, I've had many. If you could see uh, me through the years, I've had some wild hairstyles. I've had a hairstyle similar to yours. It mine didn't look as good, but I, I did. I bleached my hair. I spiked it up. I felt like I was awesome. You know, it was the Eminem days, and. Uh, <laughs> Back when he was blonde, and uh, I'm all about cool hair. You know what? And I feel like the cooler your hair is, the more people harass you about it because they can't handle it. They can't have cool hair, and they want to harass us about it. Bald guys love to attack us about our hair. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. I always laugh when it's uh, some guy telling me that I need to get rid of my pubescent 13-year-old hair and his profile picture. He looks like a cue ball I'm about to strike in the pool yeah, he, hall he wants after 12 it. beers. Yeah. That's why, Marty. He wants it. He wants to take it. Yeah, it's like people out here looking like Paul Feinbaum trying to tell us what to do with our hair. You know what I mean? Uh, one of the greatest, no doubt the funniest moment of my on-air career was with Feinbaum, and it was a hair joke. So 
Oh, well, I spent many years listening. When I, I used to sell pesticides for a living, and I would drive from store to store, and I listened to so much Feinbaum. I mean, that show, uh, uh, it, it blew me away. And uh, I, what I like about it is he's the, like in any sitcom, he's the great, you know, straight man. It's like everybody's absurd, and he's like, <laughs> okay, uh, he next the, call. He's in the eye <laughs> of a hurricane just keeping it all around him at the same time. He's a sorcerer. Bringing people He's a back. Wizard. It, it is mastery, no doubt about it. Well, yeah, but um, uh, I, I think your hair is on point, and I, I, I think you should keep it going. Well, look, I mean, man, we've kept you. We appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for yep. taking the time. Thank your you, humor, Justy. your talent is remarkable. And when you come to Charlotte, I'll see you then. Well, I really appreciate it, and I hope people will go uh, on to Netflix and watch me on season three of the stand-ups because the more people watch it, the more chance I have to get a full hour, and I got a full hour ready to go, and uh, I got, you know, I got 150 more we're having a good times to say, and uh, I feel good. Pee-pee in your pantaloons. <laughs> Y'all like that, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, Dusty's funny. We, I appreciate his time. Um, he has – like, he's really built something special. And when these dudes lean into being country, I love every bit of it. And he definitely leans into being country. Yeah, he owns who he is. And that, that you know, when someone is being true and authentic to who they are, then it, it makes it more funny because the jokes, they're not just made-up stuff. It's things that, you know, like the pocket knife thing. Like, how many people can relate to that? Well, I can't tell you how many pocket knives the Charlotte Douglas International Airport has commandeered from me as I attempt to make my way through the uh, Transportation Safety Administration pre-check line. I, pocket knives are funny things because I have carried one everywhere I go my, since I was a little boy. I still have my daddy's pocket knife. It's an old-timer pocket knife from when he was a little boy, and he carved LHS into the knife. I don't know how he ca- I don't know how he carved his initials into his pocket knife. I guess he used a pocket another knife, knife to to personalize his pocket knife. But nonetheless, I still have daddy's pocket knife. And I've always thought they were awesome. That's one thing about being having a a, a relationship with Academy Sports and Outdoors. Because every damn time I walk into Academy I come out with another pocket knife. I can't – I don't know what – it's like pocket knife, pocket knives and Air Jordans. I just cannot stop myself. I cannot quit. And peanut butter. Those are three things I just cannot stop. I uh, I almost lost a pocket knife that uh, meant a lot to me. So when we went to Daytona for the race, I flew down there. All I had was a backpack with my stuff in it. Just a bag no of a knife. Like a Navy SEAL. And so – then, you know, we're leaving. Wes and I were hightailing it out of there to make our flights. And I'm going through security and we my bag gets pulled. And I'm like, I'm like, what's it getting pulled for? Like, there's nothing in there. And the guy's like, you know, is there any sharp, sharp objects or whatever? I'm like, no, there's, there's nothing. There's some headphones, and, you know, clothes. And he's digging and digging and digging. All of a sudden he's like, what's this pocket knife? And I'm like, uh, clearly it's from when I, it was from when I moved down to Nashville. I threw a lot of stuff in my book bag. But y'all uh, see my ice machine? Yeah, no idea. So somehow Nashville's airport did not catch it at all. One bit. Did they uh, take? Day- did Daytona take your knife? So I thought I'm losing it, and this is a knife from uh, my grandfather's knife that he got uh, in World War II over oh, in no. Pakistan. And they were like, "There's three options," and I'm like, "The options are all going to be like, I can't. Nothing I can do." Well, one of the options was we'll mail it to you. Write your name on this envelope, and we'll mail it. And That's they unbelievable. It. That's unheard they ma- of. That they does mailed not it. exist at Charlotte. They mailed it, and they paid for the mail. What? Yeah. It's hey, like $5. Shout out Daytona TSA. Man. Yeah. Wow. That is big time. That is very cool of them to do. If you want to get free I've never shipping heard. I've never heard of that before. Just I've never heard of it either. Go to the Daytona airport. He's like, you can surrender it. You can take it out to your car. And I'm like, I can't do those two. I saw a deal uh, two days ago when I flew to Los Angeles, California. There was a lady in line behind me, and she had forgotten to take the water out of her water bottle. 
This was not like a bottle of Dasani or whatnot. This was not a plastic bottle. It was a like like a, like a Yeti or a thermos you know, or something. Yeah, Yeti type of bottle. They would not just pour the water out and hand her the bottle. She had to go back through security, pour the water out, and come back through security again. Mm. And I was kind of like, that's a lot. That's awfully involved when you could just pour it out. I love the people that are chugging it right at the, the point where they have to, like, the no return. That's me. I mean, listen, if I've bought a water, if I have purchased a water en route to the airport that morning, or I've had one that I am, you know, doing the airport dash, that water probably cost three to 400% of what it should, right? But who's so, buying a water? Who's buying a water? Before, like at the airport before TSA. Well, if I am in the hotel lobby, yeah, you scoop and I up buy a water. I am probably taking an Uber or I've had a rental car. So I've either dropped off the rental car, which, by the way, I got a great hack for y'all. Okay. Anyway, I'm the dude chugging the water and then tossing the bottle before I go through TSA. Check this out. All right. So I leave the interview Tuesday morning. I have roughly two hours before my flight is airborne from LAX to Charlotte. LA, if you're driving eight miles, it's an hour. So I'm like doing the math. I'm like, man, I got to hurry up. So I get on the highway and I'm standing in a loud pedal. And my boy Patrick Abrahams calls me. He's my field producer for ESPN. He is going to the F1 race with me. We're doing the Indianapolis 500 together. We do, we do everything together. He's, he's the man. Listen to this idea he has. He had just done it himself. If you are at an airport like LAX or somewhere that has a bus transit system for an off-site rental car facility, you know that that is an intangible thing. You cannot predict how long it's going to take for the bus to arrive, what traffic looks like once you get on the bus. So it is a very unpredictable moment trying to catch your flight. What he did was this. You return your rental car at the rental facility and you get an Uber to wait for you at the rental facility and you take the Uber from the rental facility to the terminal. It probably saved me 40 minutes and I made my bird. I don't know if I had not done that, if I would have made that bird. Good job, Patrick. I thought it was the most brilliant thing I'd ever heard in my life. It's incredible. I don't Life is really all about hacks, man. You gotta, you gotta you just play gotta be able games. To get, That's gotta, the first time I've ever used that word. By the way, I learned hack. that word from Cameron. Yeah, what? I didn't know that that's what. It, yeah, I didn't know what that meant. God, you're old. You never heard of a hacker? I mean, of course I've heard of a hacker. You never heard of? I've never you never heard, heard of, of life hack? hack? Life hack? No. Yeah. What the? I don't. I don't live on the internet like you do. I. I don't care. I don't give a damn. So that's when Cameron said it the other day, I was like, what? He goes, I got a great hack for you, dad. I was like, what? What does that mean? Yeah, I think you're the last person on this planet that doesn't know that heard that phrase. Well, I think there's a lot of things that I don't know. And quite frankly, I'm not that interested in it. Um, Disinterested. All right. Well, we have wasted enough of y'all's time today. This is the Marty Smith podcast at Outsider. Wesley, thank you. Travis, thank you. Uh, the Lip Fur coming in i mean it looks good bro hey i can't shave it oh, man i played you. golf over the weekend uh and it has added distance to my drive taking strokes awesome. off the scorecard i i don't think i can get rid of it at this point well i, I don't think you should i think it really works for you Thanks. i think it uh i think the, you the, grow the, it out until georgia loses a football game mm, we'll see about that maybe until mother's day think, happy mother's day Everyone, yeah. by the way. Happy Mother's oh, Day. Thank you for to reminding all, me. I would have forgot. All the moms out there, uh, you are absolute heroes. And no doubt. we appreciate what y'all do, especially Laney. Yep. My captain. You too, Britt. I know you're listening. Uh, 
Yeah, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure Brittany is oh, yeah. uh, an avid consumer of the Marty Smith podcast with her husband. Is that an ink? Is that an Anchorman coffee cup? Yeah. Sorry, I wasn't even trying to. There has. I wasn't even trying to flex that, dude. In in uh, when we were in Alabama this weekend watching Jimmy race, uh, we went out on Lake Tuscaloosa and we're having fun riding around on this uh, raft behind this boat on Lake Tuscaloosa, and. The driver of the boat was trying to dump us. Was it Nick Saban? We were like full rodeo cowboy in this thing. I mean, rodeo cowboy in the hell out of this raft. And I put my hand back to like, you know how the cowboys like do this thing right here? They like bob and weave and buck and all that mess. I was doing that on this raft. And I typically wear one of the silicone wedding bands. And I lost my wedding band. My wedding band blew off in the middle of the ride. And... I got back on the I got back to the dock and I was like they were like that was awesome we can't believe you guys stayed on and I was like I lost my wedding band and everybody's like huh and I was like well two things number one my wife is sitting right there in that boat so I can't get in trouble <laughs> number two it's just not the one that we when I said I love you forever I was not wearing that ring so it's all good but I have on my titanium model right now and that is a very different sensation. I can tell you that. All right. Uh, you're welcome, America. There you go. Appreciate our law enforcement officials everywhere working hard to keep our community safe. Thank you, Fire and Rescue. Y'all are amazing. And thank you so much to the United States military. We are grateful for freedom. Y'all are amazing, too. Again, thanks to all you moms out there. Happy Mother's Day. Y'all be good. We'll see you next time around.